Jonah chapter three. Jonah chapter three. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read the whole chapter here. It's a, it's a short chapter, but I, I want to deal with the subject. I think is very important tonight. There's a lot of uh, you know confusion on this subject. There's a lot of debate on this subject, and I think you know I've been listening to kind of, you know maybe I shouldn't do this, but sometimes I like to listen to the other side and see what they have to say and see how they're using the scriptures and you know just in case I'm missing something. Just in case I could be wrong on this, I like to listen to what they have to say and then kind of see what they're doing with the Scriptures. And you know, I was listening to somebody preach this, and I think he was preaching it wrong. And at, I, But I, I was like, you know what? I see what they're doing. I see where they're coming from. I see what's happening. And it was interesting because my wife was having a conversation via Twitter with somebody on that very thing. And, I, and they were doing the exact same thing. You know, these people are dead wrong when it comes to this subject. And I, when she was kind of explaining what they were saying, I was like, yeah, that is what people are doing. This is where they're getting it wrong. It's like, I need to preach a message on that. Something's been on my heart this week. So let's go and read Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, then I'll tell you what I'm preaching about. But it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger and we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them and He did it not. What I want to talk about tonight is repentance rightly divided. And people like to argue about repentance and what it means. And you've got the one people that tell you, you know, you've got to repent of your sins is the way they'll put it in order to be saved. And then you've got people that know it's just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And while we're in the category of believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, I will admit that not everybody who uses the term repent of their sins, I don't think they always mean what maybe our side is saying they mean by that. Because I don't think there's too many Baptists that teach you have to turn from all your sins in order to be saved. Because who does that? You know, who since you got saved... Turn from all your sins and you gave up all your sins. All right. I mean, obviously, I think we would all admit that we're still sinners. But yet, when you say you have to repent of your sins to be saved, that's kind of what you're saying. Unless you're going, you know, unless you want to get specific. Say, all right, well, which sins? Well, you know, you got to get the drinking and the cussing. And okay, well, what about, you know, what about pride? What about arrogance? What about all these other things? You know, which ones do we have to get rid of? And. You'll have, and so there's that people like to argue about this. And it's real easy to try to put words in the other side's mouth. Okay. You know, and so then 
you've got the repentance crowd that maybe would like to look at us and call us the easy believism crowd. You're just one, two, three, repeat after me. And of course, we don't claim to be that at all. You know, we don't, I don't believe that just because, uh, I, I think you gotta believe in your heart. You know, and just because somebody says a prayer, those aren't magic words. That's not going to get somebody saved. They've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've got to believe it in their heart. They've got to call on the Lord. And then just repeating words, that's not going to get them saved. But at the same time, I do believe that if I go and I give somebody the gospel and they understand it and they believe it and they call on the Lord, they're saved just like that. I absolutely believe that with all my heart. And in Jonah chapter 3, we see, I believe the people in Nineveh, Doing two things. I think we see them getting saved, and I think we see them repenting of their sins. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Alright? You see that a lot in the Old Testament. You know, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Jonah comes through preaching. A backslidden preacher doesn't even say a whole lot. And these people, they believed God. And I believe when they believed God, they got saved. But then, after they got saved... Notice how they proclaim this fast. And they are, what are they're, they're, they're hoping, they don't know, okay? They've already believed the fact that, you know what, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. They've already believed the word of the Lord. But now what they're doing is they're repenting of their sins. They're turning from their sins. It says in verse 10, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. Notice turning from their evil way is a work. And we believe salvation is not a works. But here, they turn from their evil ways. God saw those works and then God repented of the evil that He was going to do. Because these people repented, because they changed, God did not destroy their city. So you kind of have, uh, you know, repentance. Uh, you know, so you, the repentance you see here, you see God repenting. You see the people repenting. And you see them people getting saved, and you see them turning from their sins, okay? And so, I personally believe if you take Jonah chapter 3, it proves that turning from your evil ways is works. I think that's very clear right there what it's saying. But at the same time, um, you know, maybe that's not clear enough, you know? But I'm going to show you, though, some other things in the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. A mistake, I believe, people are making that once you just, when you slow down and you just back up a little bit, you find out real quickly what people are doing wrong and how it's messing up their Bible interpretation. And it also will help clear up any confusion you might have in Jonah chapter 3. But the debate over repentance, it's something that's it's been going on for a long time. And it's not going to stop anytime soon because of the fact that you know teaching people you have to repent of your sins to be saved, it is a works-based way of salvation. The devil's never going to stop with that. He's been doing that from the beginning. And I, I believe there's decent people that are on the wrong side of this issue, but I believe that many who are pushing it, some of the big names, I guess, that are kind of pushing this, the false repentance, these, some of these are bad people. Some of the stuff you listen, I've studied some of these people, I've read some of their stuff, I've listened to their preaching, and it's terrible what they're teaching. Some people are just an error. If you start talking to them and you get them to clarify their beliefs, they do not believe that way. They might use some bad terminology. I've used bad terminology before. Where I, you know, people have corrected me. Hey, do you realize what you're actually saying? Is that what you believe? And I'm like, no, that's not what I believe at all. But that was what I said. And so, you know, and when that happens, I like to correct myself. And like, all right, yeah, I don't want to send the wrong message. I definitely don't want to muddy the gospel. And I think that's where most people are. 
But one of the reasons for the confusion is because of people not rightly dividing the Scripture. And I don't mean in a dispensational sense, all right? That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I, you know, I'm telling you, this part of the problem is we have a culture in the IFB world of just a bunch of slogan yelling preachers that don't use hardly any scriptures. They find a line. We were just listening to a message before where a guy just takes a phrase in the Bible and just runs with it. I mean, his entire message, there was some good stuff he preached in the message, but that was the only scripture he used in the whole message and it had nothing to do with what he preached about. Now, how are we supposed to win people over with that? Okay, we believe the Bible is the final authority. I'm not just going to win people over with slogans, okay? I'm not good at making them up, all right? I'm just not creative enough. And so I, I, I can only steal good slogans that I've heard. I'm not, I'm not good at making these things up. But it is very rare in a lot of churches you hear more than five verses read in a sermon, and it makes it easy to take things out of context. And that's what happens in these verses. And so uh, I want to show you some of these verses that people, you know, because... First of all, okay, when it comes to salvation, all right, when it comes to salvation, the Bible is actually really clear on how you get saved. John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. It's that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Very clear right there. That was in John chapter 3 too. When Jesus, you know, he's talking to a religious person. He's talking to a Jew, somebody who is trying to keep the works of the law. And he's not telling him to repent of his sins. He's telling him here he needs to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in John 5, 24, Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Clearly talking about salvation. These verses are mentioning everlasting life. They're mentioning eternal life. These are clearly salvation verses. John 6.35 And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse 40 And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 7, 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Eleven twenty five, And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? 12.44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Verse 46, I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now, these are all just verses in John that are real clear, talking about everlasting life, saying that we get it from believing on Jesus Christ. And John, the book of John, the purpose of the book of John, chapter 20, verse 30, tells us what the book of John is all about. And it says in many other, verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. There is no doubt that these verses here, and I just did the book of John for time's sake, are clearly telling us the way to salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of John is written so we would believe on Him because if we would do that, 
we would have life through His name. So why doesn't the book of John, if repenting of sins and turning from sins or turning over a new leaf, reformation, if those things are a part of salvation, why doesn't the book of John talk about that? Why does it over and over again mention believing? And so, you know, the mistake that a lot of preachers are making is they, you know, and even on our side, I think some of the mistakes we make where maybe our side ends up kind of making us look bad and how we interpret scriptures. It's like we think every time we see the word repent in the Bible, it has the same definition. Because I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes repenting does mean to turn from your sins. And let me just read some of these uh, definitions of repent. And I think you can find examples of all of these in the Bible. But it means to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something done or spoken, as to repent that we have lost much time in idleness or sensual pleasure, to repent that we have injured or wounded the feelings of a friend. A person repents only of what he himself has done or said. Sometimes we, and I wish I hadn't done that. What does that mean? We repented. We changed our mind. I was wrong for doing that. That's repenting. Another definition is to express sorrow for something past, um, to change the mind in consequence of the inconvenience or injury done by past con- conduct, and then apply to the supreme being to change the course of providential dealings. We see Most of the time you see repenting in the Bible, it's God repenting. God kind of changing His mind, changing what He was going to do. And in theology, uh, to sorrow or be pained for sin as violation of God's holy law, a dishonor to His character and government, and the foulest ingratitude to a being of infinite benevolence. So we see all these definitions and on our favorite, you know, we like the change of mind one because of course to get saved, you know, you've got to believe in Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to turn Well, the way we'll say you got to turn from unbelief to belief, right? And so at the same time, it's going to be easy for the other side to prove, Hey, there's places in the Bible where repenting does mean to turn from your sins. And it is, and it's not always just, a change of mind. It's a change of course. It's a change of action. Those places are in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And I think it's important that we go ahead and recognize the fact that repentance does mean that sometimes. But let's look at those verses. And we don't have time to look at all of them because there's some questions that no one's asking. Okay, And the question that no one asks when we read these verses is what are they repenting of and what are they repenting for? That's all you've got to do. And what's happening, preachers are taking these phrases in the Old Testament about repentance and they're taking the phrase, they're taking the definition that may even be accurate and then they're, then they just run with it. They just go nuts with it and they do whatever they want to with it. And these passages, I'm going to show you, they have nothing to do with salvation. But they have the word repentance in there. And so everybody associates that with salvation, but repentance isn't always about salvation. Okay, a lot. Have you ever went to Dairy Queen before and you bought that Blizzard and after you ate it and you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. You know, that just ruined my diet. You know, you repented, didn't you? You know, it's like that was that was a mistake. There's all kind, but it doesn't mean you got saved. Okay, there's all kinds of repenting that we do, and the call to repentance in the Bible is often a call to turn from sin. But the question is, is there any place in the Bible? that it ever tells somebody to turn from your sin to be saved or to avoid hell. And so some of these popular verses, let's, well, I'm, going to look, I'm going to go through several verses if you want to try to follow along. Second Corinthians, or, uh, Chronicles 7.14, famous verse, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Notice what it says that they will turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance right there is what they'll say. Turning from your wicked ways. But what does it say here? What is God going to do if the, if His people will turn from their wicked ways? Does it say He's going to save them? No, it says He's going to heal their land. Okay? What do we, what is it that we need in America today if we're going to have, if we're going to take a better course politically? Okay? There needs to be a lot of repentance if we're going to have a change in course politically. It's not, it's not going to be enough for people in the United States to just get saved, we need to change some laws, don't we? Now, getting saved, believing on Christ, will get them to heaven, but do we not need major repentance in our country today? Do we not need some major changes in our laws? Do we not need to repent of some of the people that we've put in office? Absolutely. So what if we do that? Well, what if we repent of the bad people that we've put in office? Well, if we'll repent of that, God's not going to save us, but you know what He will do? Maybe He'll heal our land. Maybe we'll have better laws. Maybe we'll get some better leaders if we will repent of some of the bad things that we're doing. But here, he's just saying, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, he didn't say, I'm going to save you and you're going to go to heaven. He said, I'm going to heal your land. Jeremiah 18.8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced uh, turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. So that nation that's doing evil, if they will turn from that, God won't do the evil he had planned on doing. Is that about salvation? Absolutely not. Jeremiah 31.18 I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock, unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. So in this passage, what are we looking at? Are we looking at an individual repenting or are we looking at a backslidden nation? We're looking at a backslidden nation. They need to repent if they want things to change in their country. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about salvation. Ezekiel 14, 6. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Hey, this is not talking to an individual. It's talking to the house of Israel. It's talking to a group of people. Tell them you need to repent and turn from these things. Ezekiel 18.29 Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal, O house of Israel. Are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so you'll be saved or so iniquity shall not be your ruin. If you don't turn from this, iniquity is going to ruin you. It's going to destroy, destroy you. So you need to turn from this. Verse 31, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Okay, now, is this so they can have eternal life or so God won't kill them? Okay, this is so God won't kill them. That's what that's talking about right there. But can you see, though, how in all these passages about, return, about repenting, it's talking about turning from your sins, isn't it? This is a turning from sins. But in, and it's real easy 
for somebody to take these passages and prove repentance means turning from your sins. But notice how none of these things are talking about how to get saved. It's talking about talking to nation. It's talking about, you know, how you can keep from getting killed. It's talking about how you can have God heal your land. This is not talking about salvation. Joel two, uh, turn over to Joel chapter two and verse 12. And this was the message that I heard, uh, well-known speaker preaching this message and trying to, uh, you know, prove that repentance is a term. He wasn't really trying to prove anything. He was just trying to get a movement uh, of the people, trying to get, get everybody excited. And he's like, you know, we, we need, uh, we need a major, you know, we, we want to see a revival. So, you know, we got to get people turning from their sins and we got to stop with all these flimsy professions, blah, 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 all the stuff they normally say. But look what it says in Joel chapter two, verse 12. Cause this is the only, this is the only Bible used in the whole message. The only Bible used in the whole message. Joel two twelve. Therefore, also now saith the Lord, turn ye to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest minister of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Now imagine using that passage to prove you got to turn from your sins and be saved. But what did he do? He took those parts in there you know, when it talked about you know, rending your heart, when it talked about you know, getting the priest and to sanctify the people and he's kind of looking at the kind of the drama that's in there and basically preaching, you know, we got to have, you know, your salvation needs to be dramatic. You know, if, if you're not crying and all these things, you didn't really get saved. But, you know, this, if you read this passage, you look at context. You know why they were telling them to do this? It wasn't so they could go to heaven. It was so they would be saved from the northern army. That's what he was talking about. They would be saved from the northern army. And he, this guy, he used this to teach that we just can't go by a little prayer that we prayed. You're going to use that passage to prove that? All these things they did was not so they could get saved. It was so they wouldn't get attacked or wouldn't get defeated by the northern army. These are things God told them to do if they wanted His protection. And you know, because it's like, they like to talk about our little prayers. And it's not the words, it's the heart thing. Remember the thief on the cross's prayer? Lord, remember me when thou goest into thy kingdom. Well, that wasn't very impressive. What that little prayer, no works involved. But you know what? Jesus said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Remember that Ethiopian eunuch? After Philip preached to him, man, he wanted to get baptized. But you're supposed to be saved first. And he, Philip said it. You know, 
And he said, what did what what the eunuch say? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, something along those lines. I mean, real simple. Nothing fancy about it because it's not, it's not the words, it's the heart thing. And so, you know, to go around belittling somebody's prayer that they said because they weren't emotional enough, because they weren't crying enough. You know, I'm getting tired of all these people making it like, you know, you got to just be in agony and just crying. The Bible calls, the plan of salvation calls it the gospel, which means good news. You know what the good news is? I don't have to work my way to heaven. You know what the good news is? Salvation is free. That's good news. And so it's not, it's gonna, it's very common that when you give people the gospel, that they don't necessarily cry. Sometimes they're just happy and relieved. And you know, not everybody expresses emotion the same way either. You know, we're all different in that area. But you know, while most of these verses that get misused are Old Testament, there's some New Testament verses too people can use. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 24. This is one people like to bring up. It says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt teach, patient, and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, does this passage tell us this is what we have to do to get saved? No. These people are repenting of bad doctrine. Why are they repenting of bad doctrine? So they will not be taken captive by the devil. If we get bad doctrine in our church... That's possible for a saved person to get caught up in some false doctrine. But you know what we got to do? We've got to repent of that. Otherwise, we're going to fall in the snare of the devil. Our church is going to get destroyed because of bad doctrine. This passage is not about salvation. But repent. people see repentance and they automatically think salvation. And people on our side, we see the word repentance and we think it has nothing to do with works. But sometimes it does have to do with works. A lot of times it has, it has to do with works. Sometimes it is just a change of mind, especially when it comes to repentance for salvation. And I'll show that here in just a little bit. But, you know, the repentance that a person must do in order to be saved has nothing to do with facts or it has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with sometimes it has everything to do with ceasing from our labors. And sometimes it has everything to do with stop, you know, stop trying to work your way to heaven and start putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Stop thinking you can be good enough and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And so I believe the repentance for salvation, it simply means turning you know, or to, from trusting whatever you were trusting before to trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that you don't all, you know, not every time you see people preaching salvation in the Bible, sometimes you see them using the word repent. And sometimes you don't. And it's interesting when you look at who they're talking to, when they would use the word repent and when they wouldn't. And there's very good reason for that. But for the religious, when they would be preaching, it was turning from your works, for trusting in your works, to trusting in his works. It says in Matthew 3, 1, look what it says. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. So right there, you say, yeah, they got it. You know, or, um, or verse 8 where it said that. I, um, verse 8 where it says, bring forth fruits, therefore, meat for repentance. Right there, that proves, you know, you got to have some works. John the Baptist was preaching repentance and they had to have works. Bring forth fruits, therefore, meat for repentance. Well, what are those fruits? What was he talking about? What's going on in these people's minds? Because remember who he's preaching to. He's preaching to the Jews, right? 
Remember, it says in one of the accounts that there was a lot of Pharisees that were gathered there. And he's preaching to these people. And he tells them, bring forth fruits, therefore, meat for repentance. What does that mean? Give up some of our bad habits. Start keeping more of the laws. What was he talking about? Well, look at verse 9. I think this is pretty interesting. Because he tells them, bring forth fruits, therefore, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. I did indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We see that there that he bring the first thing he brings up because he's talking to religious people saying out within yourself we have Abraham as our father. You know what these people's problems were? They thought they were going to heaven because they were Jews. They thought they were going to heaven because they kept the law, because they did the sacrifices, because they were the Pharisees. They thought they were going to heaven because of their traditions, because of the fact that they washed their hands all the time, because they didn't work on the Sabbath day. Because they were keeping all these laws, they thought they were good. They thought that they were covered. And John the Baptist is telling them to repent. And what does he do? He brings up the fact that, you know what, there's one coming after me. He's telling them, repent from that. Repent of your works-based salvation and put your faith in the one who's coming after me. One whose shoes I am not worthy to loose. Right there, John the Baptist admitting, I'm a sinner. I'm nothing in comparison to the one who's coming after me. And he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, which the Holy Ghost baptism, I believe, is what happens when upon salvation. And I believe the fire baptism is when is a reference to when Jesus Christ judges this world. And I don't have time to prove all of that. But at the same time, he's when he's telling these people to repent, he's not telling them to turn from their sins because they were already trying that. These people, if you read through the Gospels, did they not think they were really righteous? They, were they not trusting in their good works? So if he's telling them to turn from your sins... That's what they were already trying to do. He's basically telling them, you know, we all say, you know, repentance is a 180. But he would, if, to, for Jews to be, to tell them, you know, to turn from your sins or keep the law better, you're just telling them to run faster in the wrong direction. They need to trust in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Many of them didn't. And today, many of them still do not. They do not trust in Christ. They're trusting in their works. They're trusting in their traditions. And they need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So it was the religious crowd there he told them to repent. But we also see too, and you don't see that as much when he's talking to the heathen. Now you do see it sometimes. But in the book of Acts, we're not going to take time to read it. In the book of Acts, they preached repentance, didn't they? But who who is he preaching to? He's preaching to Jews, devout men from all over the world. People who were already trying to get to heaven through the works of the law and he's telling, them, he's telling them to repent. What did that mean? They needed to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But um, look at what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. This is a verse 2. People will try to use a New Testament verse to prove repentance is turning from your sins. It says, At the time of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So it's not just about to the Jews. He's telling all men everywhere to repent. And they'll take just that one verse and run with it, but you have to look at context. And the context of that verse, that was when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill 
where they have all these idols set up. And when he's talking about the time of this ignorance God winked at, it was talking about back in those days when they were worshiping those false idols. But now he's commanded all men everywhere to repent. What does that mean? It means stop trusting in those idols and start trusting in Jesus Christ. Remember they had that one spot to the unknown God and Paul preached by him. Hey, you need to stop trusting these idols and you need to start trusting in Jesus Christ. So you can see how repentance, when even in the New Testament, when it was for salvation, it was always getting people to stop trusting whatever they were trusting in to trusting in Jesus Christ. And you never see it in the New Testament where you do see in the Old Testament where they're supposed to turn from their sins in order to heal their land to get healed so God won't kill them or things like that. You never see them talking about turning from their sins for salvation. And there's a good reason for that because I've never met anybody in the world who thought they were going to heaven because they sin a lot. Because think about that. If we're going to be consistent in how we're interpreting repentance and everything, if you're telling people to repent of their sins, like they said to repent of idols, meaning they were trusting in idols, start trusting in God. You know, to repent of your works-based religion to trusting in Jesus Christ. If we're telling people you need to repent of your sins, then what we're really saying is they're trusting in their sins to get them to heaven. I've never asked anybody, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I sin all the time. I break the laws. I don't keep hardly any of the commandments in the Bible. And I'm convinced I'm going to heaven because of that. Nobody says that. Nobody says that at all. And that's why you don't see them many times when talking to heathen of, you don't see them using the term repent unless it was people who were idolaters and worshiping idols. They would say it in that case because they need to stop trusting in that God and they need to trust in Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in, um, what's my spot? Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. It says in verse 30, What shall we say then that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness? Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You see, the reason they didn't often preach repentance to the Gentiles is because the Gentiles weren't trusting in anything to get them to heaven. The Gentiles many times were just, they didn't care. They didn't believe in an afterlife. Some of them did. They worshiped idols. And when they talked to them, you need to repent of that. But a lot of these people, they weren't trusting in anything. Most of the people that we go out to talking today, when we're out soul winning, if you... They're not trusting in anything. Hey, do you know if you're going to have... I don't know. You know, they, they've never even thought about it. They're not even trying. Now you do. You have those religious folks that, man, they're trusting in the fact that they are in church. They've been baptized. They did the sacraments. And those, those are a tough group to win. The religious people are a tough group to win over. But there's a lot of people out there. They're not trusting in anything. Nobody's, just, nobody's ever given them the gospel before. And those people get saved way easier than religious people. And it was the same thing back then. But it, I don't think it's a coincidence that you don't often see, see them talking about repentance as much to them because 
they didn't they weren't trusting in anything else to get them to heaven. And so what are they doing to get saved? They're saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they said to the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They didn't mention repentance to him because that guy probably wasn't believing in anything. But they say to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so that's why when, you know, a lot of the people we talk to today, I don't try to get them to repent of anything. Because the truth is they're not trusting in anything. Now, when I'm talking to some of the religious folks that are talking about their works, I will talk about repentance to those people because, hey, you're trusting in the wrong things. You're trusting in the work of your own hands. You need to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to admit that you're a sinner. And so, you know, right there, I mean, this makes it real clear. And so some verses that they'll kind of, when they get desperate, they'll try to use Acts 26.20. It says, But showed first unto them Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout the coast of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Right there, that proves it. Right there. But you know what? What they'll do, they'll often, people like, I showed some of this last week, how they'll attach definitions to words that you can't find in any dictionary. And they'll try to say that word meet, it means necessary. I've heard people do that before. When it says meet, you know, works meet for repentance, necessary for repentance. So you need to do these works, they are necessary for repentance. But you know what, that's not what that word means. What that word meet the word meet it means suitable. Remember when God made a woman for Adam? I will make an help meet for him. I want to make something suitable for him. These two are going to work together great. And when a person gets saved, do we not teach them that they should have works suitable for repentance? When a person gets saved, do because look at what Paul, Paul's being accused here in this passage, and he's like, "This is what I was teaching them. I was teaching them to have faith in God and to have works in their life." Do we not do that? Do we not preach against sin all the time here? Are we not always bringing up laws in the Bible and commands, and am I not harping on them and telling you all you need to do these things? Am I telling you to do these things so you can go to heaven? No. But you know what? These are. You know, very suitable for repentance. These things go with salvation great. They work together great. If we want to be a good witness, you know, first of all, we need to be saved. But then you know what? We need to have some works too. Because otherwise, nobody's going to want to listen to what we have to say. We're going to be a sorry testimony. We're not going to, you know, our light's not going to shine very brightly. And so, you know, one of the things, the purposes of a church is, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to give the gospel, we're going to try to get people to have faith in Christ, then we want to get them in church, and we want to teach them to have some works. We want to teach them to clean up your life. We want to teach them to have some reformation and things like that. And that is exactly what we do here. And so in the end, you know, repentance has many definitions. It's a, it's a word associated with salvation, but it's not the only reason we use the word. Repentance can be for a lot of different things. And it is, it's a Bible word, but the truth is, while there are many, many verses in the Bible telling us to turn from our sins, you cannot find a verse where it tells you to turn from your sins for salvation. The Bible is very clear that our way of salvation is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. If there's any turning that needs to be done, is we've got to turn from unbelief to belief, 
or we got to turn from trusting in works to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to trust from a false God to trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how it all just goes back to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? No matter where you're at, it's all about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Looks like John had it right when he was mentioned over and over again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for everlasting life. And that's what we've got to do. And I, I want to see people turn from their sins. I want to see reformation. I want to see people's lives get better. But I have no right to start adding these things and making it as a requirement for salvation and then go criticizing people and telling them they're not saved because I'm, I'm not pleased with the works that they're doing or you know, saying pe- some church isn't really getting people saved because the people aren't turning from their sins. That, that's not proof we're not saved. The proof, you know, it's, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're saved without works. That's what, the, that's what the Bible teaches. And we don't want to get away from that because if we do, it's going to cause us to get real discouraged because this flesh is powerful, this world is wicked, and it's hard to get people to turn from their sins. Will you not just admit it? Is it not hard to turn from your sins? How many of you have already failed on New Year's resolutions? Why? Because it's hard to get control of this body. and You're all saved. Been saved for a long time and you can't even keep New Year's resolutions. Well, what makes you think you're saved? Well, it's because you're not trusting in your works. You're trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need, we need to understand that. And, but it is clear in the Bible, it is easy to get saved. It's real easy to get saved. But it is hard to turn your life around. And so, you know what? Let's not stop giving the gospel. We want these people to get saved. And let's try to help them. Let's try to help them turn their lives around. Let's try to help them repent of their sins. But at the same time, Let's not muddy the gospel with a turn from your sins, turn over a new leaf in order to be saved. That's a dangerous thing. And so with that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word and the things uh, that, that it teaches us. And I pray You'll help us, Lord, to make sure we stay right on these things. Lord, I pray that we'll always, as a church, we'll, we'll preach hard against sin and uh, try to get people to live holy lives that are pleasing to You. But dear God, I just pray that we'll never stop giving the gospel Help us not to get over the simplicity of the gospel. We thank you for making it easy, Lord. There's definitely, if if it was about turning from sins, we never could do it. And I thank you for paying our uh, the penalty and our price in full. And I just pray you'll help us to keep on spreading the message. In your name, we pray. Amen. What's all?